Conversations with Saruti. Uh, a couple weeks ago in this space, we discussed the MLB draft uh, coming up here in July with William Bohr of MLB Pipeline. Today is going to be my second of three draft installments. Uh, and today with me is Matt Thompson of Prospects Live. Prospects, prospects Live is one of the first sites I go to when I look for information pertaining to minor league prospects and draft prospects because of how deep their information provided gets. How interesting the analysis is that they put out there their depth of knowledge on all their of all of their writers, and their ability to make draft night super fun last year. Um, Matt is a huge part of that. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm great, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, Ben. Uh, thanks for following the site. Um, we work hard. We take good pride in our work. And, you know, right now it's still something we all do on the side and, and hopefully we can expand that in, in the future and become more of a primary focus for what we're doing. But I mean, I love our following so far and I think we've done a pretty good job. We're only, you know, about two years old as a site. So I think we're, we've got a pretty strong foothold already for such a short time. In my I agree. I, I, I was surprised to kind of find out that, that you were that young. I don't know. You know, I got, to you guys through Kyle Reese of, of birds on the black and, and, oh, who's that? <laughs> uh, you know, really sheepish fella. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, he's shy. Doesn't he's not right. Bad. Right. You might miss him if you, if you glance over it, you know? So, uh, in any case, um, as we sit here to talk today, um, Cardinals, since this is a Cardinal pod, let's start there. The Cardinals are right around the 500 mark on the year. Uh, they've kind of been floundering as of late, except for the last yeah. couple nights. Uh, my mind has completely shifted to yeah. draft time coming up in less than a month because it's easier to be optimistic about this sometimes. Um, since I know you're a Cardinals fan as well as a prospects guy, do you have any takeaways from the Cardinals season you wanted to discuss prior to getting into any of the draft day talk? Uh, yeah, we'll go a little bit on, on that. It's, 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 you can... Correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, Ben. I, I follow the minor leagues a lot, so maybe my slant is a little bit different than what most people are, would be used to following the Cardinals. But um, from my observation, the talent level in the upper minors is as thin as it's ever been. Um, and I think you're seeing that impact on the major league roster because I think I don't want to be too critical of guys because being a major league baseball player is incredibly difficult. Um, but there are a lot of guys that are occupying 
key roster spots this year that probably shouldn't. If you look around other contenders like the Dodgers or uh, even like the, you know, I know, I know the Braves are scuffling, but you have like the Mets and the Rays and the Yankees and all them. Those players wouldn't sniff the field on those teams. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Um, and I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I think I feel like that the the peripheral of the roster is as thin as it's ever been. But the core is outstanding. I mean, you can't argue with you know the Arenado and Goldschmidt being locked up for a while. Jack Flaherty for whatever time he's yeah, left here. At least a few more years. Tommy Evans emerging. Yeah, Tommy Evans emerging as a core player. Obviously, Molina and Wainwright are still here for now. I mean, it, it's. Do you think Tommy Edmond is emerging as a core player because of it being the Cardinals, or do you think he'd be a core player on a lot of teams? He's a player that plays above his tools, so I, I think he would fit as an important, important key player on a lot of teams. I mean, if you look around the league, I think a lot of teams could use a Tommy Edmond type. Gotcha. Um, he's. I hate using the Ben Zobris comp because it's lazy, but he's kind of a modern day guy. That version, right? Like, plays everywhere. Right, right. Ideally, yeah. Ideally, he's not a, an everyday player at one spot, but I think with the way the Cardinals roster is built, he's found a nice home at second base. But yeah, I like the ability to move him around. Yeah, I think um, you know, obviously, non-COVID times they keep Wong so that so that Edmund Edmund can so. play second, short, third, left, right. Um, right, I agree with that. And I think center field. I, w- I wish he could run in center. I think he'd be good there. Do you think he'd be better than Bader or Carlson or O'Neill in center? No, well, probably not Bader and Carlson at least. But I mean, I think when you want to go for more offense, I think swapping Bader for Edmund out is a pretty good move if you can keep everyone else out there. You know, if you have Wong in the picture yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't. Know. I think it's, it might depend on who's on the street because I know, like right now, Edmonds. Dropping like a rock, and he's finally getting a day off, a couple yeah, days he, off here with the injury. But yeah, he's been scuffling, scuffling of late. But I mean, he's solid. He's, he's got a decent track record of production behind him now. Yeah. So. All right. Um, pitching wise, did you? I, I kind of been putting this out on Twitter. Like I, I have no basis for this except for looking at the stats and. And Kyle kind of mentioned something to me in DMs yesterday or this morning, I don't remember which, that that might be more of an answer to this. But organization-wide, the Cardinals are just walking and hitting ridiculous amounts of players um, as a pitching staff. Is that – do you have any insight into that at all? Kyle says he thinks that – or not he thinks. He was told that – I'm going to find it right now. Um, He was told that – that the um, the pitching didn't really um, they they didn't do any scrimmages against any other teams in minor league spring camp, and so he thinks that could be yeah, part of it. But it's happening at the major yeah. league level too. Like I, I don't know if I don't um, know. I think I'm sure the COVID shutdown probably has a lot to do with. This? Right, but everybody was shut down, and they are. Right. I mean, I want to say in the majors, they're most walks, most hit by pitches, and at two two of the levels in the minors, they're most walks and most hit by pitches in their league, and in the other two, they're like top five in both categories in their league. 
Like, yeah, it's not great. It is everywhere, and I'm just, yeah, I, I don't know if, if you know, DeWitt is pretty close to Manfred. I don't know if he knew that this ban on foreign substances was coming down, and he basically outlawed it at every level this year, or... Right. It's possible. You never know. Um, I, I don't think – I mean, I do think every team in the majors has somebody, you know, has multiple guys on their staff. But I, I honestly, truly, maybe it's my Cardinal fan bias, but I don't think they use it as much as other teams do. Gotcha. I know there's the famous Yadi Molina with yeah. <laughs> the ball stuck to his best protection team. But I, and that's something that we need to watch, I think. Because you, you know how frequently we're changing pitchers in games, right? I, I would wager that across the league, catchers are more loaded up than anybody. Yeah. Because they touch the ball every time. They have way – they're not the people that are getting the eyes on them as far as that goes. And they're always – they can get away with touching the chest protector, shin guards all the time, the glove. Yeah. I, I guarantee you the catcher is the source of a lot of this. Yeah, um, quote-unquote readjusting of their, their... – Equipment. Yeah, I, 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 I think a lot of because the catcher's the constant, right? You're changing pitchers, but you're changing balls, but the catcher's the same every yeah, time, right? Yeah. So I, I think, I think you there's a high probability that the catcher is the source of a lot of every team probably does it slightly differently, but I, I, I would wager the catchers are pretty loaded yeah. on, on their equipment, which they touch the ball get to the picture kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So to transition this to the draft for, for us today, then do you, have you even thought about any, any ramifications on what this looks like as far as the draft is going to go? Uh, with the sticky substance yeah. and stuff. Um, Cause I'm, I, I'm I sure it's, it's not just at the major league level. So no, it, I can confirm to you that it's not. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, we see how, I mean, you look at an amateur video on Twitter now, they show spin rates with the videos. Right. right. That's something that we haven't seen. That's relatively new. During the last three, four years, you have, you know, you, you got a local high school high school pitcher down the road, and he's, you know, got his Rapsodo information on the bottom corner of his mm-hmm. video. Right. So the spin rate thing is kind of, it's taken over, like, a lot of things. And, I mean... I am. I'm not going to give you names on no, the podcast, no, no, no. but I, uh, I uh, speak to some people that are working in some major league front offices at a lower levels, and they are. That's another layer they have to sift through yes, now um, when you're evaluating amateur talent, uh, especially in the high school game, which is kind of the wild west, right? Because there's nobody really to regulate. Every state is right. different. Has different. I mean, every state's different. Every state gets more coverage. Some teams get way more coverage than others. Some you're just looking at data. Some you have video. Some you have video and data. And you have these showcase events, which are max effort. So I can almost guarantee you at these showcase events, you're seeing a lot of these inflated spin rates due to all this stuff. Yeah. Right? Because that's your chance to show against your peers, right? Right. 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 I, I can't blame anybody for it either, to be honest. No, of I, course not. If I was in that situation, I probably would as well, just because you got to get your name out right. there. I mean, it's a chance for, chance for millions of dollars. I mean, literally. So. Right. If, if Ben Cerruti's loading up. I would never, sir. No. I'm at a disadvantage. 
<laughs> but you know what I'm oh, saying. Yeah. I'm at a disadvantage if we're the if we're both, you know, ranked similarly. You know, you know who you're ranked. You know who your guys do have to outperform are on the showcases. You know who you're just looking at. You know, you're not trying to. You know, not everybody's not looking at Jackson Job and be like, "Hey, I have to outperform him" because some people just can't. He's the top pitching prospect, right? Like when you look at you know other guys, like, okay, well, I'm in a kind of a group with these three or four names. I need to outperform them, and that's who you're looking yeah. at. Okay. Because you're trying to get into the end of the first round, and those are the other names there, and yeah, so that's that's where it comes. from. All right, so let's get into some some names, but not for sticky substance reasons. Let's get into uh, right, some right, people right. that the Cardinals could maybe draft. So um, this is going to be repeat information for listeners if you listened to the first of my draft podcast, um, but that's okay. It's pertinent for today. If you didn't hear it last time, it could be new information to you. The MLB draft has been pushed back to July 11th through 13th this year. Uh, there are just 20 rounds, which... While that's four times longer than last year's abbreviated draft, um, it's much shorter than other drafts. Uh, the Cardinals have picks number 18, 54, 70, 90, 120, and 151 in the first five rounds of the draft. Uh, after that, they choose every 30 picks for 15 more rounds. Um, so those first six, again, are the ones we're going to look at today at 1854, 70, 90, 120, and 151. Uh, I'm going to focus in on eight different guys. Since I told you I'd respect your time, if we want to be done after those eight, uh, we can. Uh, if you have time after that, we can delve into a few others. Um, before we start, can you give us a little just general overview of this year's draft in terms of, do you, th- do you feel like this is going to be a good draft, bad draft high on like college position players, for example, or high school pitchers, for example? Um, what, what's general overview looking like? I don't love this draft. Um, I'm sure everybody's opinion on that might be a little different. That's where I'm at. I, the college hitting crop is, is. I don't want to say bad because it's all subjective, but it is it is unappealing at the top of the draft as I think it's ever been. Uh, I think you got Henry Davis, who's kind of a cut above everybody. If you're not familiar with Davis, he's probably going to go in the top, you know, three to five picks as a lock. Um, but then you got a couple college arms that are going to you know, they can carry the class a little bit as far as the college group goes. But I think the prep group is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also dangerous because these are all guys that missed the whole season, right? Um, oh, it goes across the board, right? Really, but especially at the prep ranks, they didn't get the showcase circuit last year. Um, last year, yeah, it was a different draft in itself, but like those, that group of high school seniors, uh, they had the showcase events they went to as juniors, right? The summer before, so teams had had the top guys at least, you know, against had rankings and had information on the, the top prep bats in that class. This year, that class would have been juniors last year for the showcase events that obviously didn't occur. Mm-hmm. And then this year, being a senior, that there's um, limited events and not, you know, very few national. I know Perfect Game had a national event and, uh, but again, you get some of the bigger names that are already sitting near the top of the class that have really no reason to go to those. Right. And so, yeah. Okay. When there's, yeah. When they're in a typical showcase season, there's multiple showcases. So it makes sense to go because 
if someone someone's not going to blow off, you know, four or five different showcase events, you might blow off one. Right. right? Or you might even just go to one or two. And if you're a stud, just say, yep, I'm not going to make your appearances, but not work out Mm -hmm. kind of deal. Right. Ed Howard, for example, was at the Super 60 last year, but he didn't participate. Okay. Why would he? And he ended up going to the first round. Right. right? So uh, are there are there any like, like holdovers from last year's draft then that didn't get drafted as expected because it was cut down so short that you you think might be early draft picks? Oh, this man, so many so many names on that just because if you were a senior in college last year you had the chance to go back to school yeah um, and with no issue and then obviously some of the juniors that would have got drafted in your sixth to tenth round and got decent money also didn't get picked and got a chance to go back to school. So this this year's draft, as far as talented players, is probably a little bit thicker than normal, but I, I think that the top is light, especially in the college. college okay. Um, so as a draft class as a whole, you would call this kind of a low floor, high ceiling draft probably, but high risk draft? Uh, I Yeah, I think the prep, the prep arm variance kind of makes it high risk. Uh, okay. I, I think... Obviously, major league teams won't do this, but like, I would put right now the 2022 draft as stronger than this one, and I would put the 2020 draft, which I, I like that 2020 class, even though it was only five rounds and all the wildness that went with it. But I think that was a pretty strong class overall. Okay, so you would say this is probably the the one in the middle out of 2021, 20, 22. This this middle one here is probably the weakest then. Yeah, I would agree with that, okay. yes. All right, so I do want to start with a prep guy. I do want to start with a prep position player. Um, and the reason I'm starting with him is um, Carter Jensen is a catcher out of Park Hill High School, um, which is like literally three minutes from my house. I can walk there in about 10, drive there in three. Um, you know, so my son and I, and my son and daughter and I are walking up there all the time over COVID break when all you could do was walk around the neighborhood or whatever. Um, so we were up there checking out the baseball fields and, and walking around the track and all that um, a bunch this past year. Um, I did get a chance to go and check them out, but only for a little bit. There's a playground right across from the school. So we were playing in the playground and I noticed they were playing one day. Um, my son is six. He's starting to really get into baseball. My daughter's four. She is um, about the furthest thing from into baseball as you can get. Um, so we stopped by for like an inning and a half. I made sure I got to see Jensen catch an inning or two and then made sure that I got to see him hit once. Um, and so this is kind of fun because he's a guy who I've had my eye on for like a year because you guys and MLB.com uh, both had him in their top 200s. Um, at the last check for you guys, and I'm sure this has probably changed, but the last check I saw Carter Jensen in at 106 on your draft board um, with the Cardinals at 90 and 120. I know that that's, um, uh, I mean, probably in that range of like third to fourth rounder is what we're looking at. Um, You guys have written up that he's a big, strong left-handed batter. Who's got a knack for putting this barrel on the ball, shown power to all fields. Um, But one of the best pop, some of the best pop times behind the plate. One of the most well-rounded back stops. I have heard that despite great pop times, he's one of the least likely to stay behind the plate, but that partially might be because of advanced bat, partially might be because of his ability to catch. Um, When I saw him in person, it looked to me like his framing um, 
had a lot to be desired. Um, the way he sets up behind the plate, a lot to be desired there still. Um, something he could grow into. Now the Cardinals have had plenty of success recently with catching uh, Kelly and Kisner and Herrera, et cetera. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Well, watching, we have a good video of him. And we also have an interview with him on our YouTube page. Um, so please go check those out. The interview, interview with Joe Doyle is fascinating. They asked him some fun questions and some real tangible baseball questions and, then we also have a good video of him, open face. I want to say it's from Perfect Game National, but I might be incorrect on exactly where it's from. But it is uh, recently; it's from June, so or six months. Well, it's since six months ago. So Park Hill High School, like you mentioned, lives right by you. Um, this is my own observation, but you know who he kind of reminds me of, and this. It's more aesthetically than anything, but it kind of actually fits also like the type of player that he might be. But he, I see a lot of Zach Collins. Um, Zach Collins was a highly thought of catcher at University of Miami, right? He was went to the first round. Um, obviously, Jensen's a prep um, bat, which makes it a little different. But I feel like he, the swing and the setup remind me a lot of Collins. He's a high OBP potential guy with questionable defensive skills that kind of fits that archetype. No. Okay. Um, and uh, he'd be an interesting pick. I, I do think there's enough bat to play. And I think there's potentially enough athleticism where he could play left field. Right. And I don't know what you think about that, but I think he could probably play left field if he had to move out from behind the plate, okay. but got the ideal catcher frame. Uh, he, um, He's still working on kind of getting into the power in-game situations. He's kind of, uh, especially against lefties, he kind of just kind of just flicks the ball the other way, gets you know finds the base hit, which is fine, perfectly acceptable approach against lefties. Right. Uh, but I like to see him get into more driving the ball. But it's hard to nitpick an eighteen-year-old this much, so <laughs> it's like you know. But and a commitment to LSU, which uh, LSU is obviously a real tough there's a really good chance he might make it to campus because LSU is uh, obviously a prestigious school and for the college baseball front. And like they had Drew, Drew Romo, uh, who was a second round pick last year was committed to LSU as well. And I'm getting drafted by the Rockies. So, okay. Do they, um, they, does LSU have any other catchers right now that, that would be ahead of him? I want to say the, they do, but I want to say he's uh he might get drafted this okay. year. So it might, there's a situation where Jensen could play a decent amount if he gets to campus, okay. which um, I would always advise, unless you're a top, you know, if you're a surefire first rounder, I would take the money and probably go to and go pro. But like right now in Jensen's situation, I, I really think it's probably fifty fifty. Okay, he could go pro. He could go to he could go to LSU, and you really can't go wrong, right? Because being in the SEC is probably not all that different than low A, honestly. Right, okay. day in and day out. So uh, you'll be handling, you know, Division One top top arms behind the plate and growing defensively. Uh, that's his weakest tool. Besides, he's not a runner. Right. So I mean, that's get given that aspect. But like, besides running, I would say his glove is his weakest tool, and specifically his receiving. Uh, his arm is is good. He, he has a little takes a little time to get out of the crowd sometimes. Maybe he's not the quickest. Coming back to the footwork aspect. Okay. I think if you drafted him for his bat, he could move pretty quickly. If you're trying to move, draft him for his bat and maybe move him off off a catcher, which I wouldn't advise doing. But if you like the bat a lot, I mean, that's not a 
untraditional path, right? Uh, we've seen that a lot with a lot of guys. But um, I'm going to throw something potentially I, wild I, out here. Yeah, Would Kyle Schwarber be a comp? Or, I don't think the power is quite okay. there. But I, I, I get what you're saying. I think that kind of fits the Zach Collins mold too, right? Questionable defense. Uh, good enough athlete to play a left field. Move as quickly far, I because of the bat. Aspect. Yeah, I, I really – yeah, I agree with that. And Schwarber went to Indiana. Yeah, um, so minus the power aspect, I suppose. All right, so final yeah. question about Jensen for you then. Cards pick 18, 54, 70, 90, and 120. If you're Jensen's agent – or I don't know if he gets an agent if he's going to college. If he, if you're Jensen's camp, an advisor. If you're his camp. It's an, I'm doing air quotes. You can't see, but it's an advisor. <laughs> How about if you're if you're so Jensen's father? There we go. Now he can't. You know. Then obviously, if he goes 18, you've already said that. If he's going first round, you're going. If he goes 54, 70, 90, 120, what what's your breaking point of? Well, I would think the team drafting him that high would have a pretty good feel, right? Because there's obviously a number. I don't know what Jensen's number is, but if you give him, I'm going to make this up. I don't have any information. I don't. I don't know Jensen's family. Okay. I don't know what their needs are. But if hypothetically, say he needs 500 grand to sign, and if you draft him, you know that you're not going to draft him and then try to figure it out. You know what right. I mean? So you're going to know what his number is before you select him. So. I, you're not you're not taking you're not drafting him if he doesn't sign. Like if he's going to school, he's not gonna get drafted. Like, right. I know that sounds obvious, but teams communicate with these yeah. kids uh, or their families, and they know they know what their number is. The number factors heavily into where he gets drafted. But I mean, if I really liked the kid, which I wouldn't, if the Cardinals drafted him, I wouldn't hate it by any means. I mean, you could look at him, start looking to what's it, seventy four? Is that the pick? Uh, 54, 70, 90, 120. Somewhere in the 70 to 120 range. You could go anywhere. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag after you get out of the first seven picks in this draft. It's going to be wild. I think we have a good idea what the first seven choices will be. But that has nothing to do with where Jensen's going to go. Right. I'm intrigued. Um, I know it's – we all have our potential biases, whether we want to admit it or not, and – I'm a sucker for Kevin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Fair enough. All right. So I do want to get more towards first rounders. Um, I want to mention at least three today that um, I have seen the Cardinals taking in various mock drafts. Um, one of them was in, in the Prospects Live May mock draft. You guys had the Cardinals taking a prep right-handed pitcher out of mainland New Jersey named Chase Petty. Um, Petty, uh, you guys wrote up that the Cardinals have been all over Petty for some time now. Uh, should he fall this far, it feels like a match made in heaven. Flores and the Cardinals generally like to sit back, relax, and see what drops like Gorman, Walker. Uh, Petty would become the next in that line. He's got a giant fastball. Uh, I've touched 120, you guys reported. Uh, he's got a four seam. He's got a two seam. He's 102. Right? Oh, 102. You're right. Sorry. 102. Um <laughs> And then, as you guys put it, a hellish 70-grade slider with elite horizontal tilt. Um, and so, um, you also add that he's got a change-up. It could be a 60-grade change-up if all turns out well. Um, you, you guys go into a lot more information. 
Um, you do mention that command might be the reason he would drop um, in the draft. Is there concern? So my questions is this one are kind of, is there concern that the arm slot uh, differing for the four seamer at all is, is because you mentioned that is, is going to be something that, that is rough on him. And then how bad of issues are the command? Is he a guy who you could draft at 18 knowing that he's going to have to be a reliever type of command? Or is he a guy who, who you think you can work through it since he's only a high schooler still, you've got plenty of time with him in the minors. I think we all know if you follow the draft, how high risk high school pitching is in general. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think like every positive that you check with Petty, the elite velocity, the unique arm slot, which I feel that as a positive because I think it's a different arm angle, potential positive. Um, just the raw stuff. Um, all of those are also bigger red flags too at the same time, which does that make sense? Like they're, they're appealing aspects of petty. Like, cause I think we've done it. We have enough information as far as like pitching health to realize that the harder you throw, the more susceptible you are to arm injuries. Mm-hmm. I think that's not secret, right? I mean, that's kind of been proven with how we've been seeing things. Um, but can you imagine like, I'm going to, if everything goes right, can you imagine like a starting version of Jordan Hicks? Yeah. That's, that's kind of what it is, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and obviously we've seen Jordan Hicks as an example of what can go wrong in certain aspects. Right? Was Jordan Hicks ever hitting 102 as a starter in the minors? Because before he came up to the majors. No. Okay. I saw I saw Hicks in Kane County as a starter. He was living around 95, 96. Okay. He kind of took off when he went to the Arizona Fall League okay. and kind of moved to the bullpen. All of a sudden, he and was different. Petty, Petty sits higher than that, right? He sits like 97, 99. Yeah. Yeah, I think he sits 96, 97. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it kind of fluctuates, but it's in that range. Okay, yeah. Baseball America has a good, good comp on him, too. Baseball America is obviously everyone knows who they are. They're the premier draft service as well. They have a Lance McCullers comp on him, and I kind of like that a lot okay. because it profiles different type of breaking ball, but he's pretty much fastball breaking ball. And you've seen the risk that comes with McCullough, yeah. right? It's a similar profile, but you've also seen McCullough's when it's going well. Um, so it, to make a long story short, I'm kind of hedging a little bit on this, <laughs> but like with Chase Petty, um, the Cardinals that were linked to Petty at the time when we were there, that's uh, full disclosure. I'm not part of our, of our draft coverage as far as like the mock drafts and stuff go Joe Doyle and you know, Tyler Jennings, Joe Drake and all them guys, Jeff Ponce, obviously they handle all that at the site. Um, but I do follow along with him and stuff and the Cardinals were linked, which this tracks because he's similar profile uh, to Bubba Chandler as well. In our, in our last mock draft, they, they haven't taken that Nebraska kid, the Schwellenbach, yeah. but uh but Bubba Chandler is also uh, a prep arm with loud stuff, but he's got a football background too. He might, you know, go to football. Chase Petty is committed to Florida. My personal opinion is, if I was a pitcher, I wouldn't go to the University of Florida because they haven't really done much with their arms of late coming out of the okay. draft. Um, Tommy Mace is kind of 
not turned out to what he was supposed to be. They have a lot of young arms now that kind of didn't really have strong years last year. They made it pretty far, obviously, because they got blown out in their super regional, but or in their regional, I mean. But um, I think Petty is the type of guy where if you give him, you know, he's a step below the Nick Abel, Nick Bitsko tier for me, because uh, I think those guys had. Uh, better pitchability, and those are the guys from last year's draft. But I think Petty's got louder stuff, which comes with more risk. Okay. So with all of these, these, uh, you can probably word this either way, these risks disguised as a wonderful gifts I think they're or your, your gifts disguised as, yeah. as wonderful risks, right? Both ways, I guess. Right. Cardinals picking at 18. Would you be excited about that pick? I would. Um, they t- traditionally, an arm like this doesn't last down to 18. Okay. Um, looking past year's drafts, the only reason why Abel and Bitsko did is because of money, right? Money is a huge factor. Um, Cardinals were not in on Bitsko last year, um, which was disappointing to hear because I thought there was a chance he might end up there, but I guess he wanted – he priced himself down to the Tampa LA kind of range and gotcha. in last year's draft. And you look at this and the thing with Randy Flores that I love is he is not scared to take a chance not at all. Uh, in the draft as you by his last few drafts. It's almost borderline too much risk, right? Um, yeah. But if it works out, you have franchise players and the Cardinals traditionally where they draft and let's, be honest, they they do spend money, but not on outside players, right? Um, I guess the only chance of them acquiring these high upside type players is through this draft process, right? Unless a Goldschmidt or an Arenado falls to them somehow in a trade, yeah. that's basically right. it. Yeah. Right. This is their chance to get the franchise Jack Flaherty type arms. Okay. That they're not going to sign in free agency. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's kind of what they need to do, and it wouldn't shock me, especially with Mason Wynn being primarily a shortstop now. It sounds like they do kind of have a void in their system as high upside right-handed pitching, and Petty and Bubba Chandler and guys like that will fit that to a T. But you have to trust your development system to make a choice like that, but. The Cardinals obviously do by judging at their past, right? So yeah, um, so it's hard to analyze because there's so many factors we don't know. Like we don't know like what he's asking for bonus. Right, right, right. Like with Chase Petty, I'm making this up. I don't have any information to be clear. I'm assuming, but say Chase Petty says he wants three million dollars. I don't know if the Cardinals are in that. Okay. You know what I mean? Or say say he wants five million. I don't know if the Cardinals would do that. I don't know, but maybe they. It all depends. There's so many factors. For for reference for people, the Cardinals' number 18 slot bonus is $3,481,300. So so $3 million probably is good. Say he wants five. Then maybe they don't do that. You know what I mean? Because they have quite a few picks. Or say he even wants exactly three and a half. uh, Do the Cardinals look to maybe try to save money there if they think that Petty and somebody else are about equal and the other guy's willing to take three mil? So, yeah, I think last, I think this year is going to be the last year of that. Thank God. Oh, you think? I think manipulating, 
I think manipulating the draft via the bonus pool, like famously what Baltimore did last year with taking Kirstad in the top three picks right. or whatever it was and turning him into a bunch of high Kobe Mayo and Carter Baumler later in the draft, the high priced prep arms that are prep players that they wouldn't have been able to afford, but they saved some I think money. MLB's I think that's going to kind of go the NFL route where they get the slot, whatever it is. I think so. Yeah. I think that's going to be something in the CBA that's talked about because you, you kind of want to watch a draft where it's just, you're worried about best player available and that's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that should be the philosophy everybody has. It's not money plays a factor and it should yeah, be. Yeah. I got you. It's like Jack Leiter. Yeah. I've heard he's trying I've, to price himself down to Boston. Yes. From what I've been hearing, he's what, and essentially what that means is he's telling the top three teams, in the, he's telling the top three teams in the draft that he wants some absurd number. I don't know what that number is, but he's telling them he wants a certain big number. So basically, they either pick him and that's their draft, or they don't. And he slides to Boston where he wants to go. Gotcha. So it's that should stop all that stuff as well. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so speaking of another prep guy that could potentially be in that mix with Petty, where if either this guy or Petty wants more money than the Cardinals take the other guy instead. Um, there's a prep outfielder from Pennsylvania named Benny Montgomery. Um, he is uh, last check uh, 19 on prospects lives board. Um, I don't have written down where he was on MLB's board uh, at the time, but um, basically around there. Probably 16, 17. Okay, he's somewhere in there now. Um, Okay. Um, Basically, what I've seen is he's probably a 70 to 80 on the scout scale in in running. Um, He is probably in the 60, 70 plus scale on his arm in the outfield. And his power tool could be a plus tool as well. I've heard he could fall as far as the Cardinals pick. Uh, that's about where he is on different boards, right? So 16 to 19-ish is kind of what we've discussed already. Um, from what I've read on him, and I did this to William Bohr, so I'm doing this to you. I, I know that people kind of hate comps, but we've been using them anyway. When I hear all these tools, the elite speed, the elite arm, uh, the flashes of power, I think... Jason Hayward. Yeah, I was going to say like a Harrison Bader type too. Okay. All right. Um, so I think that fits what you're talking about. Elite defense, good arm. Flashing power. Elite run, flashes of power. Obviously, you'd right. like to uh, see more Hayward than Bader in terms of, of contact rate. Uh, yes, that's a, that's the big difference between those two type of players. Yeah, and Benny Montgomery is a weird profile to me. One we've kind of discussed – we're talking about now, obviously, but the, if you watch the swing, what do you think about his hand? I, I have not gotten to watch much of his swing. No, he does. He does a weird. He's got a weird quirk with his hands where he almost double loads. Uh-huh. What double load basically is is when hitters are in their stance. Um, everyone, you kind of magically, you subconsciously, you, you you cock your hands back as you load. Right. right? Simple. He does it twice. He goes back. He goes back, and then they come down, and then, and, and then back again before he goes toward the ball. So hmm. it's 
that's something that we, we also have an interview with him on our website, uh, on our YouTube channel, Prospects Live YouTube channel. They ask him about that, and he kind of shrugs it off, but he does say it's something that he's been working on. Um, and it's it, it's easier said than done. or Yeah, easier said right. than, than it is to do, so, to make – when imagine this, like right, someone's telling you you've been that you're a you're a first round talent, but you need to redo your swing. Then why am I a first round talent, right? Like, right. You know what I mean. You kind of want to keep continue to do what's got you right. there. So it, it might take failure for for that change to happen. I think so. Like right, and like he from a recent Cardinals draftee standpoint, like there's a lot of Trey Fletcher in here in this profile too. He kind of had a different swing. Both kind of northeastern guys. Uh, Montgomery's had a little better, uh, more exposure, and didn't recla- Fletcher reclassify. If, if Trey Fletcher didn't reclassify, he might go and he might have went to the end of the first round, early second round in his draft, right? But he reclassified. Cardinals were on him and took advantage of that. Montgomery's going to go in the first round. I would not be upset if it was the Cardinals with this choice because I think there's a lot of tools here, and that's what you're looking for. Um, but you again, they have their internal metrics and their internal analysis, and if they think they can get more out of the hit tool, then he's a premium first rounder. We've seen this type of profile bust a lot. There's like Lewis Brinton. Um, I'm trying to think of some other names like this. There's a, there's a million, uh, and I can't think of any right now, unfortunately. <laughs> Lewis Brinton. Um, Donovan Tate was a Padres draft pick, I think, in the top five, like, in the last decade, and he, I don't think he made it past A ball. He had swing issues and had that kind of this kind of skill set. Uh, Anthony Alford kind of fits this mix. Bubba Starling for Kansas City, yeah. kind of similar players, high strikeout chance. And I think there's a chance that Benny Montgomery has a lot of whiffs to the profile. But as we've seen with the way Major League Baseball is going right now, maybe the spin rate stuff changes that, but with the way it's going right now, if you have a 25% K rate, but you run well and field well and hit for some power, you can get away with that, right? So I think that's the type of player for Montgomery. The ceiling is immense because if you can drag his hit tool up to a five, he's a, he's a potential star. Yes, yeah. And, and um, we, we kind of talked about that with Hayward versus Bader, right? I mean, that's, that's a guy who – Bader who has – if you look just at plate appearances, he's a – platoon outfielder um, versus Hayward, who's a $200 million man, right? Um, And speaking of which on that, so I just looked it up real quick. Um, Jason Hayward was a mid-first-round pick, which is what we're looking for in Benny Montgomery, potentially, Um, whereas Harrison Bader dropped to the end of the third round. Um, Bader was a college bat, too. Right, right. Yes, that's true. Um, All right, so – Bernie Montgomery, you you are fairly certain he's going in the first round. He is a Virginia University of Virginia commit, but going yeah, first going first round, that's probably not happening. A couple weeks ago, now this stuff changes daily, but a couple weeks ago, I was essentially told by someone that I trust enough that um, – Montgomery wouldn't make it into the twenties. Okay. Um, I think I divulged that information with you earlier, um, but I, I 
so if I think a good land, he's a really strong potential fit for the Cardinals. If that's a nice way of me trying to say that without saying. Okay. Um, well, for all of you listening at home, Matt has said the top seven are basically cemented, and Benny Montgomery is not one of those. So, uh, right. so we're going to guess that. Uh, let's go eight through nineteen here: the Rockies, Angels, Mets, Nationals, Mariners, Phillies, Giants, Brewers, Marlins, Reds, Cardinals, or Blue Jays are going to end up with Benny Montgomery. It sounds like. I'm thinking so. I think I think there's two NL Central clubs in that mix that are real strong fits, one of them being St. Louis and one of them being Milwaukee, okay. my personal opinion. Well, uh, unfortunately for the Cardinals, the Brewers do pick three slots ahead of them. So they have uh, an additional 400000 to work with and first crack at it. Um, all right, so moving on to uh, – we've talked about how Randy Flores kind of likes those, those high-tool guys that fall in the draft in that first round. Um, this guy isn't a guy who is the high schooler that's going to fall to them. Um, but Jordan Wicks is what I've been told is the premier left-handed collegiate pitcher in the draft. Um, would you say he's also just the premier lefty in the draft period? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of nice prep lefties that I like a lot, but uh, Wicks is the top arm I think he's a – I'm trying to compare him to maybe names people might know. Like Reed Detmers went last year. I would put him in the same tier but below Detmers as far as like – because he's got that one big pitch, right? Yeah, I've heard his changeup, right? Um, his changeup is yeah. is basically the – I've heard it described by multiple people as the best pitch in the draft. Uh, yeah, and it – his the, there was some concern with his fastball being uh, sitting low because uh, he's a lefty, so you can get away with lower velocity, ninety two, ninety three, um, which is, in my opinion, is fine, especially with the way he manipulates it. Um, but like he has that monster pitch that potentially could rise him through a system pretty quickly. Okay, uh, but I know the Cardinals have an emphasis on left-handers, uh, especially pitching. And I do think the, the they they have a track record, though, of drafting really big curveballs in the draft. I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but, like, you look at Andre Palente and Zach Thompson had two of the biggest curveballs in that draft class, and they both ended up in, with St. Louis. Um Libertor, who they traded for, is famous for his curveball, even though it's not his best pitch. Um, so I don't know if fastball changeup kind of fits the archetype, maybe, but maybe I'm looking too much into it. Maybe they just want good quality. Well, I mean, fastball changeup also. They went Waka. They went Marco Gonzalez. So That's true. Marco Gonzalez is a good comparison for this guy, okay. to be honest. That command, command control fastball changeup guy. Okay. That's He's never going to be an ace. He's never going to be – um, Marco Gonzalez is, I think, the number one starter with the Mariners because it's the Mariners, right? Not because he's he's you know the guy that should fit that role. I think with with Wicks, you get a similar player, less athletic than Marco, uh, but I think he knows how to pitch. Pitchability guy works up, down, uh, knows how to sequence his, his curveball and slider, which make it play up. They're both probably average to above average pitches. My concern is the fastball, which 
I think is enough. If you have a team that knows how to use it, knows how to cut it and sink it uh, the way he wants to go with his control and his changeup, I, I think he's one of the safer bets in this draft, which is full of wild cards. All right. So is he a guy, since he's a safer bet, is he a guy that could potentially save the Cardinals money in that first spot and be able to take more risks later then? Um. I mean, obviously, you aren't in his camp either. We've talked about that a bit where, you know, you're just evaluating. You're not part of the Wix group. I don't think so because I think he's going to be sought after enough to where he's going to have suitors. He might actually have a little – it's kind of rare to say that a person not getting drafted on the top ten picks might have some say in where he wants to go, but he might with the bonus pool. You know what I mean? Because he has the track record and – kind of a late riser, um, which is appealing because he doesn't have the, the um, perceived high volume on his arm. So I, I, so many unknowns, but I, I think Wicks is a as rock solid as bet as anybody to go between pick 12 and pick 25. Okay. He, 100% chance he goes in that range, I think. So another question. Probably before the Cardinals, in my opinion. I think he's off. You think so? Okay. So I had a question that I asked William Bohr as well. Um, this is a guy who, uh, I mean, from from everything we say about him, he doesn't have a great fastball, but it's serviceable. He's a safe pick. I look at some of his, some of his numbers. Um, last year in summer ball. And then this year during the collegiate season, he's combined to throw 112 and a third innings. At least that's what's listed on baseball reference as of now. But he's struck out in 112 and a third, he struck out 147 and only allowed 102 hits. So we're talking less than a hit inning and basically like over basically 12 Ks per nine. And so four Ks every three innings. Is he more of a command guy or is he more of a stuff guy? If you had to choose. You're still talking. Still Wicks, talking right? Wicks. Yes. Um, I would say uh, command and I would liken it um, to kind of how we see in the lower minors, right? Um, in the lower minor leagues, if you can command a secondary pitch, you will put up numbers like this. Um, and I think that's kind of what Wicks – he obviously has that plus changeup that he can throw anytime he wants. The double It's double plus, in, in my opinion, actually, 70. Um, you can He can throw it whenever he wants, and that is good enough to – I mean, being in the Big 12 – there are probably two or three draft picks per team that he's playing against. Everyone else kind of isn't, you know what I mean? So like it's not, I'm trying to figure out a a Cardinals comparison to to put on. (laughs) No, it's okay. This is what, this is is the kind of guy that they lack in their system. Guys like this. Okay. Um, I wouldn't be upset if they took, Jordan Wicks. Well, especially if you think he'll be gone before us. So, Right. I wouldn't be upset about that. A lot of people might because it's not the the upside pick people scream for. But I think Flores' track record with the upside picks, 
and his ability to show you that he's not scared to take him, I think Wicks would be a good counterbalance to that. And I think Jordan Wicks is the kind of guy that if you draft him, you could put him in a high A, let him make two or three starts and bump him up to double A before the season. Yeah, so if he can move quickly, the Cardinals kind of – we, you, you kind of mentioned early on, they kind of have that donut hole at the top of their uh, minor league system, their, their upper levels, and, and he could go straight to that, it sounds like, almost. Yeah, it could, it could be like that. And then who's to say, you know, they don't get him in the system and he finds an extra tick or two on the fastball, kind of like the Reed Detmers story, right? right? Reed Detmers was a low 90s guy with a big curveball. Now he's touching 95, 96 since he's turned to pro ball with the angels and he's still got that big curveball, and he's on the fast track. Yeah. So, I mean, who's to say Wicks isn't that type of guy? It's a lazy comparison because they're both advanced pitchability lefties <laughs> with good secondary. But I mean, who's to say they're not similar in this regard also. And I mean, what's not to like about Jordan Wicks big frame too, six three two twenty. 220. Um, he looks like he could, you know, give you seven innings a night, which you don't see that often either. He, he has that build that, that, that look to him. He's nasty on the mound. He's mean on the mound. He throws up and in. Throws to set up everything. He's very cerebral at what he does. And the only thing I'm not looking forward to, if the Cardinals do pick him, would be having a Jordan Wicks and a Jordan Hicks. On the <laughs> You're not looking forward to that. No. <laughs> that that's maybe my favorite piece about it. I wasn't going to mention that again because I made that joke on the last podcast. But... As someone that has typos in nearly every every tweet that I type because I'm in a hurry and don't proofread. I, I don't. <laughs> Maybe you could just call them lefty Jordan and righty Jordan. I don't know. Okay. There you go. Maybe that All right. So is the, before I shift to picks 54 and 70, is there anybody else you wanted to mention at 18 that you would be like gushing over or that you think might happen? Uh, I kind of mentioned Bubba Chandler already kind of the high upside arm. Um, it's and I'm gonna dream a little bit, but like if any of those top seven guys wants to fall, I, <laughs> I don't anticipate that happening right, right. either. Um, All right, but no, I, I think I think we're good, man. I think we kind of. All right, that. so um, I want to shift to uh, a couple of couple of prep players that I think the Cardinals could look at at 54 and 70. Uh, the first one is a shortstop out of Michigan. His name is Alex Mooney. Um, prospects live is all over him saying, uh, you know, super polished defensive middle infielder, um, lots of good stuff about his defense. One of the players most likely to stick it short. Um, he is short to the ball, no wasted movements, not a lofty swing. Um, but it seems like he has a good ability to put backspin on the ball anyway, easy plus runner, um, good approach to the plate burgeoning pop so he could maybe have a bit at the next level um he is um 65th on mlb's big board last i checked he was at 35th on your board last i checked but that may have changed um obviously if he's in the top 36 we're not going to get him but do you think he could be at 54 or 70 and if so let's talk about him i know he's committed to duke as well so maybe any insight you have on that going 5470 compared to top 35. Yeah, other sites have him in the 60 65 to 70 range as well. I think we we're just high on him and I understand why. Um, 
this isn't going to sound like an endorsement, but it very truly is. Like he probably doesn't have a plus tool, but he also doesn't really have a weakness, right? Like he does everything. And to say like to say that about a prep shortstop is really a really strong statement because he's full of fifties and fifty-five tools and um, can play you know second, can play third, play short. Um, really cool down to earth kid. He's another one. If you want to go to our Prospects Live YouTube page, we have an interview with him on our site. Um, but like he's gonna be a tough sign, much like Jordan Walker, because the Duke commit is extremely legitimate and not so much for just baseball reasons either. I mean, you don't go to Duke if you're not sharp, right? right? Like you have to – Duke is different than other college programs because they have academic standards that are the same for athletes and not Duke's kind of like a – kind of like a Vandy commit, right? Yeah, I think – and I think that's worth noting, right? Because like other athletes – other schools can kind of get around – requirement for athletes because of what they bring athletically to the school. Duke doesn't look at it like that. Everybody's a student first and you have to meet the grades to be a student there. And if you play sports, great. It's a bonus, which is kind of nice, right? Like, cause you know, and like, you know, everything you read about Jordan Walker, which is proven to be true, like his demeanor and his, his, how down to earth he was, how realistic he was, how great his parents and how great his upbringing and stuff was. I mean, I know it's different comparisons. I mean, Walker grew up in Georgia and Mooney's a Michigan kid, but like, um, you have to like the makeup. Um, I believe we're, <clears throat> excuse me, we know his, I think we got connected to Mooney through his hitting coach in high school, which is somebody that you guys all probably all know. I, he's active on Twitter and stuff, but like, He's Mooney is. If we got Mooney in in the fifty four range, I would be ecstatic. Because he's another thing. I think what the Cardinals system and you don't draft for need. I want to be clear, you don't draft for need. But I think what the Cardinals system needs are high upside right handed arms with the chance of being an ace. Which obviously Mooney's not that. He's a position player, but they also don't have that many high upside position players outside of Mooney or excuse, outside of Walker and, and um, Mason Wynn, uh, Trey Fletcher. Uh, Mooney's while he's not as dynamic of an athlete as those type of guys, he's a safe floor guy. Okay. I have a question but, for you on him then. What you're describing, yeah. what you're describing with Mooney, is he a shortstop version of Dylan Carlson coming out of high school? That's not a terrible comparison. That's yeah. That's actually one I like a lot. Um, that that works. Okay. Um, he does everything well. Coach's kid kind of mindset, although I, Mooney's that's not the case, but he kind of handles himself like right. that. Uh, really good at the ball, really good head on his shoulders, really smart kid. I, yeah, he sounds like a non-switch hitting version of Dylan Carlson. Really good comparison. I like that. Okay, is he, he's a righty, right? You said. Right, right-handed hitting, you said. Okay. Yes. Yep. Right. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Shortstop, probably maybe a second baseman. Okay. Um, the the thing with Mooney though, he's going to be a tough sign because the Duke. Yeah. Okay. He's a, he's a surefire top three round talent, and that fits right into this kind of. Okay. Um, mold. All right. 
And so that 54, I'm just trying to look, that 54 is our second round pick. So maybe you could. I would take more. I would. So maybe you could get them there with that money, especially if you get, you know, if either of those guys will take slightly under slot, whoever you pick first can take slightly under slot. Maybe you can allocate a little bit there to get a guy like that. Right. And who's to say for the right fit, Mooney might not take under. Yeah, that's that's true too. Um, Just trying to, just trying to think with that Duke commit though. I want to say, and again, I'm making a lot of assumptions that maybe I shouldn't be making, but I I do know he goes to a prep school, and I'm speaking for prep schools in my area. I don't live in his area, but you have to have some sort of financial means to go to a prep school. Generally, yes. That, that's true. I know some prep schools not, have some scholarship stuff available. But. That's also true. And I, I don't know his situation, so I don't want to speak on it. But um, prep schools in general, though, you normally need some sort of – financial means to go to. So maybe the money thing is not that big of a deal breaker. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just spitballing ideas, okay. but you know what I'm trying to say. So. All right. So the other prep player I wanted to talk about here is another prep school kid, Malvern prep in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. He's an outfielder named Lonnie white. Um, I don't have quite as much on him, so I'll keep this pretty brief. Uh, I've got a prep outfielder, two sport athlete. Uh, he's a Penn state football recruit. Um, He's the 57 prospect on your list, 52 on MLB.com. So the the top two that I look at, he's fairly similarly ranked right around that 54 range. Um, The good news is the big power potential, great defense in center field and speed. Bad news is hit tool legs behind and enough scouts seem to be wary with how raw he is. Does that all seem to be about right? My concern, yeah. My biggest concern is the football commitment. Um, Lonnie White w- was originally committed to Clemson to just play baseball. Uh, but recently, as of May of 2020, at my timeline might be off, but recently, COVID. within the last year, he has switched his commitment to Penn State because they want him to play both sports. Ah, okay. He's a wide receiver for football. Um because, I mean, he's 6'3", 205, so he's, like, perfect for that. That's, like, ideal build um, for everything, really. <laughs> but uh, the power is what his – the power and strength as well as the speed are both plus. He's, he's a really strong kid, really powerful, really good runner. Um, he's a little bit – again, he's 18, but he's a little bit rough in center field, I would say. Um, that can obviously change as soon as – and these are the type – we have a saying at Prospects Live that we kind of live by, and it, it very rarely fails you. Uh, always bet on the athlete. Um, and Lonnie White is, is the definition of that because he's been playing two uh, – three sports. Excuse me. He's been playing three sports his entire life, football, baseball, and basketball. Um. When guys like this get to stop playing two other sports and just can focus on baseball, they often pop, right? Yeah. Their skills shine through. They're doing baseball-specific workouts instead of bulking up and adding mass to play football. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. They're doing more agility work, and you become catered more to play baseball. And those athletes kind of pop. And I, I like Lonnie White, and I think the first time we – 
talked about players in this draft. We kind of had them pegged for like the 54 or 70 range. Or excuse me. Yeah, somewhere around there, right? We kind of talked about him as like a, an option around pick 70 or maybe even pick 90. But he's not going to be on the board anymore at this point, I don't oh, think. Okay. Uh, I think in the last couple of weeks he shot up. I, I, don't quote me on this because I might be wrong, but I want to say Baseball America has him in their top 20. Oh, wow. I think he's kind of popping a little bit. Okay. Um, so he might be a guy that I was focusing I, in on, on 54 and 70, but he might be more in that that Benny Montgomery, like talking with him up in that range. Yeah, I think that's on pure talent. Uh, he's going to shoot up our board a little bit. I'm not exactly sure where the guys have him, but he's going to bump a little bit. But it's all about the if you think you can sign him away from playing football. Gotcha. He's a two-sport commit, and that's going to be hard to get him away from it because you know how football – football's got this draw, draw on kids. So, Yeah. Um, I personally think Lonnie White should play baseball, but I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> he, 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 but he's got the type of tools, man. They show up in these showcase events, and like he won the MVP at the Perfect Game National. Oh man, I want to say he, yeah, he turned around on a 94 mile an hour fastball at the Area Code Games and hit a home run. Like, and he had another hit a strong World Bat Championship tournament. Like he's just okay. So maybe that focus, you know, maybe he has kind of dropped basketball a little bit, and he's really focusing on baseball, football, and and it's already starting to show like that yeah. potentially. If, yeah, right. And I think if if you didn't have the football questions, uh, he might be a lock for like the top twenty picks. Okay. But I I don't know how signable he is. Yeah. And again, with the prep kid, you know, if he's, you know, same thing we just talked about with um, with Alex Mooney is, you know, if the socioeconomic is there for him already, then then maybe if he likes football more, he goes Penn State anyway, even with that top 20 pick. But I mean, if we're talking millions and millions of dollars now as compared to football, and potentially and, football in three to four years. And he's a Pennsylvania kid, so Penn State has another alert. That's true. That a lot of protein can't match. So it's, it's you know, a lot of different elements. Yeah. And we don't, again, I don't know his situation. And you're not claiming you do either. So. No, no, not at all. But like every, every situation is unique. I cannot stress that enough. But from a pure baseball ability, what I think he could become standpoint, like it, I don't know if any of your listeners uh, play fantasy baseball, but like if you do, this is the type of guy you want on your team. Okay. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Home runs, stolen bases, you know. Yeah. yeah, he's a dynamic athlete that yeah. – Cool. And it doesn't sound too dissimilar from, from what we talked about with Benny Montgomery in general. Um, no, I think – and I think Lonnie White's a better athlete. Okay. And I have, I have more faith in Lonnie White's hit tool than I do Benny Montgomery. In, Interesting. If I'm being honest, I think Montgomery is a better outfielder, and I think Montgomery is – Probably got more. Eh, the power projection is probably pretty similar, but I think Montgomery's a better outfielder. But I think White's a better hitter. Okay. And I think, I think I'll take the bat over the glove in that situation. Okay. But, um, shifting gears completely from prep position players to a high to a college pitcher, um, looking down the left-handed pitching path again at a Mississippi State guy named Christian, and is it McLeod or McLeod or any? I want to say it's McLeod. McLeod. Okay, that's what I would have probably settled on. He should be pitching this weekend, I believe. 
Should be okay, so everybody check out uh, ESP. Oh, I, might have my Mississippi, I might have my Mississippi's mixed up. <laughs> but I, State, I do this to myself all the time. Mississippi State's still playing, I believe. I, I honestly don't know. Um, uh, yes, they are. They are still playing. And he um, is their best starter, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, so I know well, when I did know. when I did a lot of research before talking to you and William Bohr and uh, next week I'm going to talk to uh, Joe Drake off your site as well. Um, oh, nice. Joe, Joe knows more about the draft than me. Sweet. So, so everybody look forward to that one. Um, as I did that, I saw a lot of Mississippi State show up, which I guess that makes sense since they are you know still in it. They're in the College World Series now. So. Um, so let's yeah. get a little more McLeod specific. Um, here we're probably looking in like the 70 to 120 range, those uh, third through fifth picks that the Cardinals have in the first four rounds. Um, yeah. McLeod is 111 on your board last I checked, uh, 74 on MLBs last I checked. Your write up mentions uh, he could be undervalued there. So we'd probably be looking more on the 70 to 90 side of things. He's a tall lefty. He's- oh, go ahead. No, he's still got a chance to improve on that too with a big throw. Right, right. He could he could get some helium here at the end. Um, he's a tall lefty with downward plane on his pitches. He's a curveball fastball changeup guy. Uh, it said somewhere that he can be a big strikeout guy. What's the downside there then? Why is he not a first round guy if he's got this big tall lefty with a downward plane that that has three pitches that can be a big strikeout guy? That's a good question. Um I really don't. He should. He's a guy that I would have higher on my board. Um, well, I, I do think maybe there's no plus pitch in the bag. I mean, he's like he's not a Wix with a plus plus off speed pitch. I personally really do. I like his curveball. I might. I mean, I, I probably put a fifty-five on his curveball. Probably a five on his fastball. Uh, you know, five on the on the changeup. I mean, that's a pretty good mix. He's the type of dude that could move relatively quick um, without the – he's a command-control kind of touch-and-feel guy, which I like. So the, the lower end of the minors, he might just eat that up and it might not be might not be something that improves him in the long term? Right. It might be like uh, – he kind of profiles – he's Levi Prater with better command. Okay. And Prater's uh, kind Prater, of eating up the lower minors right now. Right, but the who's got one issue is that he can't make it past the fifth inning because he's at 90 pitches every time he enters the inning because he walks too much. Gotcha. Back. That's McLeod is a strike thrower to the to a to a T. Um and I think the thing because well, he missed he's missed some time. I mean he he had an ammonia which wiped out his freshman year. And then obviously he only pitched like 20 or so innings in 2020 before the season got right. So like he's, that's, I think one of the things that's kind of holding him back a little bit is he hasn't um, pitched a lot, which I view that as a positive because less, less miles on the arm. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I feel like the stuff has taken a little tough step forward this year. I mean, he's got 12.5 Ks per nine. The walks are a little high for his profile at 3.2 in college per nine. And I'm kind of hoping 
Um, he can find another gear, and his fastball is kind of. He's 88 to 91, which answers your question on why he's not high enough draft gotcha. Um But in these tournament games, he was up a little bit higher. He was a couple of ticks higher. He's, and I wouldn't be surprised if you'd see him because we have some reports on our site where he's kind of – I believe we have a 90-93. And I think this these tournament, this tournament run, I think he's been more 92-94. Okay. I don't know if that's just momentum or, or excuse me. Yeah, it gets other adrenaline rush, what? yeah, maybe. If he can live in that, if he can be 90, you know, if he's a 92, 94 lefty, he's a first round pick with what he's got, I think. Good to command. Yeah, back in the first round, the guy. But as of right now, if he's, if he's hovering around that 90 mile an hour mark, uh, I think he's probably going to find a home in the third round somewhere. Okay. But that's just an assumption. And you'd be happy with that third round pick with the Cardinals? Depending on what the other two rounds look like, yeah. Say they took. Benny Montgomery, and then ended up with McLeod, I would take that. If they took Jordan Wicks and then McLeod, I don't know if I would like that. Yeah, you know that I mean? second pick would so have to like, be uh, would have to be a pretty high high, high upside guy. Right, and McLeod is a guy you could potentially save money on if he ends up in the right spot. Okay, all right, so he could be a value pick and a guy who moves fast. Yeah. All right. Uh, the last guy I have for you today, at least uh, that we had talked about. Uh, discussing is um, another prep outfielder. So I I don't know why I went so many prep outfielders in this discussion, but I think it's a good comparison point at least. It's a deep group. group. Well, yeah, maybe there's just, I saw a bunch of them. Um, His name is Michael Robertson. He's a Florida kid, uh, Venice, Florida. Um, Saw that he's 157 on your board, but he's a little higher on MLBs, top hundred, barely 98 there. Um, so I could say probably the 120 or 150 pick, uh, potentially higher, I presume, but I don't know. Um, he seems to me to fit the Cardinals mold of like Romary and Fletcher, kind of like those other guys, uh, just because I've heard about raw power and raw speed um, and a potential ability to stick in center. Um, seems like a high ceiling guy, but I'm guessing there's a low floor to go with it if he's being looked at in the 100 to 150 range. Um, he is signed to play with the Florida Gators. That's his home state team. So we're looking uh, kind of, again, like Lonnie White, uh, potentially Penn State from Pennsylvania. Um, do you think the Cardinals could prime away? So I got three questions on this one. Can they prime away from the home state? Um, is that potentially why he's so low compared to like a guy who, like Fletcher who went 58th overall in 2019? Because the profiles do seem really similar. Um, or why is he so low compared to Fletcher, but why is he so much higher than like a Romary who went 365 in 2019? Um, can you kind of just kind of talk about where he falls in that continuum? Yeah. I I think that they can sign him away. Um, I think money talks and it depends on what your first couple picks are, but you could definitely sign Robertson. My thing with Robertson is I don't buy the power output. I think he's kind of a slap hitter. Um, Maybe, you know, a really strong defender. He's a really good runner. Maybe, might even be an 80 runner, but I think his offensive production is a little questionable. Um, and I think he, he would really benefit from going to college and maybe finding some free development time there and kind of, you know, finding a, a little bit of power stroke. Maybe that's not his game, but 
having enough power to keep hitters honest would be what he needs to do. Um, and then what was your third question? Why does he use these compared well, to Well, yeah, I just kind of – Fletcher's got more power. What about Romeri? Why would he go so much higher than Romeri then? Romeri. Um, well, Romeri's got more power, definitely. But I think Robertson's a better athlete. Um which I don't think is a stretch to say. Um, Robert got the up the middle defensive value. I don't think Romeri is an up the middle defender. I think he's a right fielder. Oh, okay. So I, I just think I just think Robertson's got um, a higher floor, which is odd to say because I don't really like the bat as much. But I think the defensive value for Robertson could potentially be almost worth it okay. if he hits if he if you get to hit tool to a four. And the power to a three, and you can be a plus defender. I think that's that's a fourth outfit. Yeah, yeah. So I think he'll do it. Um, do you think that that hit tool is going to be enough for him to be a slap hitter, though, or is that why you're saying go to college? I think he needs. I think he needs to go to school, personally, um, and see if he can find another offensive gear because colleges are often ahead of pro ball as far as development goes because they have to, right? Those coaches' careers depend on developing guys. Um, in, in pro organizations, you have um, front office sections that are player development, right? Yeah. In college, you have to be the player development and the manager, so yeah, you're <laughs> invested in everything. And I think you have to get guys to hit, and I think him going to University of Florida might be beneficial because I think what Florida lacks in the pitching development, I think they do really good with the bats. So I think it might be decent there. All right. Um, well, Matt, those are the eight guys I really wanted to talk about. Um, I do have four questions yeah. that I have for you if you want them, if you have time, but we're already sitting at like 75, okay. 80 minutes. I'll take them. You'll take them? I'll take We'll be quick. We'll be quick. We'll be All right. Quick. So back to Mississippi State. I want to talk a little bit about Landon Sims. Um, I know college relievers are kind of more and more thought of as people to draft nowadays, um, whereas one point they were basically seen as failed and, and don't touch them. Um, but – 42 and a third innings. He's only given up 22 hits and 13 walks. So a 0.83 whip, 81 Ks. He struck out literally half the guys he's faced six runs, a 1.280 RA. How do you go about placing a guy who's a college reliever, even that's doing that well onto a draft board? That's tough because college relievers are often like the biggest fail rate, <laughs> almost in prospects. Like, because it's not the same. Everyone thinks they can move quick. I like Sims, and I, I think Sims might be – I admittedly haven't seen too much of Sims, but I think he's the type of guy that if you think you can make him into a starter, I think you take him. Um, he could potentially go, you know, round five, round six, round seven. Okay. I'm looking at that right. And I think that's kind of where you can. Do okay, it. cool. Um, Kyle Reese had two questions for you. Uh, one is if there's one guy who's a consensus top 10 right now, so obviously not one of those first seven, but somebody who's in the mix for, for eight, nine, 10 that could fall to the Cardinals at 18, who would it be? And then why, and why should we be excited about that guy still? If he's falling eight, 10 spots. Hmm. I missed that question. Um, that's interesting. I kind of hope Ty Madden falls. 
So why should we be so excited about Time Madden? Uh, right-hander out of the University of Texas. Um, it's, the stuff is just incredible. Um, it's kind of – I might take him over Rocker, to be honest. I think the stuff's been more consistent. Uh, Rocker's had the fastball kind of coming and going a little bit. Um, and Madden – is kind of a guy that people have known about for a while. He was on like a loaded high school team with two other guys that were drafted in the 2019 draft. Um, I just like the fastball shape for Madden. I like the slider, uh, really hard changeup. It's about 90 miles an hour. Uh, it works north and south kind of guy, which I feel like fits the Cardinals mold right now. Durable frame, 6'3", 215. Um, I think he just screams mid-rotation starter shouldn't need too long in the minors kind of guy and i feel like he helps them a lot and i feel like with like sam bachman kind of coming up someone's got to go down right okay uh, and i feel like matt could slip a okay. little bit and if it kind of hits that right that right might, run it might drop him all the way yeah and i think madden is probably in that 10 to 12 range right now so i'm cheating a little bit because i think he said top 10 yeah. but i think if he can drop a tad bit, it wouldn't be that crazy to see him drop okay. down, wouldn't it? So not an outlandish drop, but but something that could potentially happen and, and could benefit the Cardinals. All right. Because I think a lot of outfielders are going to get pushed up, like Colton Kowser, uh, Sal Freelich, um, like even Benny Montgomery could get pushed up. Jordan Wicks might go in front of Madden. That pushes him down. Yeah, and then even that um, – Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name and we just talked about him. Um, uh, we talked about him right after, right after Mooney, Lonnie White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lonnie White, if he's going top 20, I mean, that could, if he goes 17 and Madden's still there, you know, that's, that's right to the Cardinals at 18. Uh, another guy to watch too is uh, the, the pitcher from Ole Miss that blew out, Gunnar Hogland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he obviously needs Tommy John surgery. Who's willing to take I that risk was, kind of thing? I think he was he was going to go in the top 15, I think, when he was healthy. He still might now. But, again, that's another spot. Yeah. There's only 15 spots in the top 15. Right. So someone's got to flip out. And Madden was a good chance Madden might. And I would be really happy with that. All right. Kyle's, another, Kyle's other question also. Um, now, this was written a month ago. And so I'm seeing basically this guy's name in the low 20s, basically everywhere now. Um, so his question's a little outdated, but maybe talk about this guy just for a sec. Um, he wanted to know why Judd Fabian's stock seemed to be falling. And if people are overthinking it just because of his K rate, uh, is there any way he falls to 18? Was added on to that, but it seems like he is going to fall to 18 now. Um, is the reason he's not a top guy anymore because of that K rate? At uh, He's an outfielder from Florida. Um, or, or is there more to it than that that you're thinking? See, he's tough, man. That K rate is weird. Uh, it's too high. But I think I, I didn't read the article lately, so I need to read it again to get a refresher. But we do have an article on our site written by Jeff Ponce on Prospects Live. He broke down the flaw in Judd Fabian's swing, and it's a specific flaw. Don't quote me on this because I might, it's been a minute since I've read it, but I believe he was struggling with fastballs in a certain location. And that seems like an easy fix for a really good, strong pro development team. Um, 
So he kind of messed with his swing a little bit this year. Kind of dropped the leg kick, and that did cut down the strikeouts a little bit. Um, but I think what you get with Fabian is it's going to go one of two ways. He's going to get drafted in the late first round, which I don't think he's getting past those data-heavy teams, Dodgers, the Twins, the Rays. Yeah, and the Dodgers, and the Dodgers just churn out hitters, so I'm sure they could fix something there. Yeah, the Yankees, some, one of those Indians, somebody in that range um, are going to take Fabian, and, and they're going to make people look pretty stupid because he's going to they're, they're going to unlock the hit tool, and he's already a he's already got plus power, right? He's already an above average, maybe even plus runner, right? He's already got a strong throwing arm. He's already a surefire center fielder. The one thing I didn't touch on is that hit tool, right? And he's making that plus contact concerns. Somebody is going to take him, and somebody is either going to turn him into an absolute monster, or he's going to be like a or one of those fourth outfielders that keeps getting chances because he's loaded up on tools. Right. right. So like, but I'm pretty confident to say that Fabian's going to have a, a major league career, a uh, pretty decently sized one. Whether he's Drew Drew Stubbs or whether he's Aaron Hicks or whether he's you know the next version of um, I'm trying to Tyler O'Neill, who knows? He could be any of those, right? <laughs> he's he's so cool up and explosive that if you are a GM that is in a good spot and a director of scouting that's in a good spot and your organization's healthy and you know you're not worried about your job and you're not worried about your team being productive or they already are productive, and if you're in a good, healthy situation, this is the guy that you take. If your back is against the wall and you think you might, you need somebody that's going to hit and you might lose your job, you're probably not going to take Fabian, but if you're secure and where you're at in the front office, you're going to take Fabian because you're going to get something out of it. And it's going to be relatively quick. Okay. Awesome. All right. I, have, I like it. Okay. Good, good, good. Um, all right. So I'm a teacher and a coach. Um, this is kind of one of my favorite questions that I, that I typically get to with people is, so I use, I use a search tool on Prospects Live on MLB, and I look for anything along these lines that I can think of. Um, are there any guys who are described as like high baseball IQ? or mature or poised or uh, gym rat or coach's kid or anything like that. Like we talked about with, with Dylan Carlson a bit. Um, we kind of comped Alex Mooney to this. So Mooney might be the answer. And I don't know if he's the only one. Um, Jordan Lawler. Uh, I saw that, but basically guys who are, who are the eat, sleep and breathe baseball types. Um, Lawler, obviously he might go first pick overall, much less than those first seven or 17 ahead of the Cardinals. So he won't be there for the Cardinals. Are there other guys like Alex Mooney that just pop out to you that just off the top of your head, like, okay, this is that coach's kid, that Dylan Carlson type of dude in this draft. Can I, does it have to be Cardinals related or can it be? It could be anybody. That's fine. I think I'll go Okay, well, earlier I kind of divulged how much I love catching prospects. Right? Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm kind of biased on that. And I think I think being a baseball rat is a requirement for a catcher. Right, like 
I don't think that's a hot take by any means. I, I like my catcher to be completely surrounded by the game in all aspects. Right. Like, your head constantly in it because they have to be. I mean, if to be a successful catcher, you got to know it's like playing chess. You got to be a couple moves ahead. You got to set up hitters. You got to do all kinds of stuff. I think it's pretty consensus that Harry Ford is going to be the top catcher off the board, prep catcher. He's probably going to go in the first 10 picks, maybe top five. The guy that I think that the Cardinals might have a chance at if they're so inclined is Joe Mack. I think he fits that that to a T. Um, you don't have the dual sport concerns. Um, he's a Clemson commit. His older brother is already in the minor leagues with the Twins. So that kind of checks the baseball family thing off the book, right? Um, he was had a surging summer. It, we, even with the COVID protocols and stuff, he surged up um, uh, the board. He's a high-caliber high athlete. He was playing um, – he doesn't play football. He doesn't play basketball. There's no concerns with other sports. Um I like him a lot behind the plate defensively. He's got an absolute cannon. He's got some raw power. Um, he's more of a lock to stick behind the plate than like a Carter Jensen. I prefer him over a Carter Jensen. But I really like um, Joe Mack, and I don't think I did a good job of selling it, but I'm a really big fan. I, there's a lot of stuff I like defensively. He's quiet. He's quick. He's got quick feet. He's got a, a laser behind the plate. Blocks pitches well, moves well. Uh, I like his stance. He's really, really rhythmic, really quiet and subtle, but explosive. So Joe Mack is against the guy for me. That, um, every time I watch a film on him, I come more, a little bit more impressed because I notice some small nuances that I like. Um, the only thing he really doesn't do is run, but he's a catcher. So I <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, uh, we're sitting at about an hour and a half. I, I, I'm completely with you on the catcher wagon. Um, my sister played softball forever and she was a catcher first and then third baseman once she got to high school just because they had an otherworldly catcher um even though she was really good um this other catcher was a lot better my first episode of this podcast was with a former collegiate catcher about the catching position and about Yadier Molina a lot of that so uh I'm totally with you on the catcher love um and obviously the first prospect that I asked you about was also a catcher. So uh, I think we're on the same pages there. I, I, I could talk catchers all day long. Um, I, whenever I have a girl who plays softball and is a catcher in my class or a boy who plays baseball and is a catcher in my class, we, we always have a lot to talk about. Um, I've got one of those now. He's going to be an eighth grade boy next year. It's, uh, he's fun to talk to. Um, and then uh, one of the catchers at the high school right now that, that my kids feed into, my students feed into, he was in my class for two or three years, three years, I think, and two years, no, two years. And um, he, he was a, a great kid, and we got along really well, too. So catchers and I have a deep bond. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer. Thank you so much for joining me today. I, I know that you've got a busy schedule. You've got a little one at home. You you run some weird hours with your job. You, you, you know, help run one of the top prospect sites in the whole you know, entirety of this whole internet thing. So um, I do appreciate you spending this long with me. Um, have a great, uh, great time till I discuss something Cardinal related with you on Twitter again, I'm sure. Um, yeah, thank you. No problem. Anytime. It was, it was a, well, anytime we talk about the draft and I, we are uh, doing our um, 
shameless plug alert real quick. We're doing our, you mentioned it at the top of the show, our prospect live, live mock draft. We're doing that again. Oh yes. That's going to be June 20. It's going to be June 25th. Um, at 6 PM central time. Uh, we, what, if you're not familiar, what it is, is we have, um, 20, 20, there was no, there's no need for the Astros representatives. <laughs> they don't have it. They the first 53 picks. So we do the first 63 picks. We have the, the person running the team is legitimately running the team. They are making the selections. Uh, we do it kind of like a draft show. We go in, um, Cue them up, get some graphics out there, play some of our video, break down the pick with analysis. For all intents and purposes, it's pretty much a draft show. I don't know if, if you have anything to add. Yeah, no, I think you watched it. It was, it was just incredibly fascinating to me. I, I loved it. It helped me get ready for the real draft. Um, if you're somebody who on on draft night, you know, yeah, on July 11th on draft night, and you are just enthralled with watching the NFL draft or MLB draft or anything like that, um, yeah, this one doesn't technically count, but um, it is just very entertaining. It is a fairly prominent, very well produced production value. Yeah, great, great production value. Um, it's one of those where I mean, he says that they've got twenty nine people. It's not just twenty nine randos on Twitter or anything. It is, it is twenty nine guys who are completely just into the whole prospect game and follow things super closely and. Um, and and these are guys that like Kyle Reese last year was on there and he you know if you've ever been in a prospects after dark with my birds on the black colleague um you know that this guy can just talk about these guys off the top of his head ad nauseum kind of like Matt's doing now right and and I'm looking at a Google Doc that I've written everything out for me to say because I have no clue about these guys other than what I've read from Matt and from others like Matt on his site I not and which I did. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it's it, it, it's a blast, and uh, it's a Friday night, and so if you know you hit the end of your week on June twenty fifth, you said um, on June twenty fifth, you hit the end of your night, you're at six p.m. Central, and uh, and you've got time to to hop on and watch, even just popping in and out and voting for your team to to make a pick. Um, I would highly, highly encourage it. It's fantastic. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, and then obviously we will do something the night of the draft as well. So um, it's kind of our test run for that in a sense as well. So it's good that it goes so well. And it, it forces me to get prepared for the draft because if I'm going to talk on it, I don't know what I'm talking about. But at least I think I have to know. So I try. I'm, and it, it goes well. So uh, I'm excited for yeah. kind of getting the participants together on that right Awesome. Now, so. Well, I can't wait. And um... – And again, thank you Uh, to all my listeners. uh, Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. Again, remember to tune in soon for uh, Joe Drake, a colleague of Matt Thompson, who Matt says knows more than he does. So uh, tune in as as well as you can. um, And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye.